Shadowcast Audio presents Episode 34 An Introduction to S&M Horror Magazine The goal of Shadowcast Audio has always been to bring you the best in audio fiction. S&M, along with House of Horror and Nightblade Magazine, have chosen to join in this quest. S&M Horror Magazine is a premier online publication featuring the best new talent in horror today. They showcase eight new stories each month and publish on the first day of each month. The best part is it's free, and now Shadowcast Audio will be bringing you their story of the month each month as part of its new direction. So whether it's just to browse around and read the featured authors or even submit a story yourself, know you're always welcome and embraced in the dark realm of true horror. Stephen Marshall dares to publish what other mags don't, but only the best of taste. Go visit and see why they have quickly become the new underground of true horror. S&M Horror is a free, non-profit, online monthly horror magazine launched in May of 2008. It is owned and operated by the senior editor, Stephen Marshall, and continues to be a top-placing, award-winning site on Predators and Editors and Duotrope. Their story of the month for January was Nothingness by Draven Ames, and we'll hear it shortly. First, I'd like to give you a story from the senior editor and site moderator himself, Stephen N. Marshall. This is I Dream of Death. A Body, Three Souls, and a Host. I Dream of Death by Stephen Marshall. I lie here in eternal calm with my arms crossed on my chest. My eyes are closed, body stilled. I feel a teardrop splashing upon my cheek and trickle like an icy tendril congealing upon the dead clay that was once my flesh. A loved one looms over my borrowed human shell, crying. A dark coolness cascades over my carcass like a wave. I hear the lid to my coffin clamping down, imprisoning me in this grim solitude my own nocturnal pit of evermore. Henceforth the casket seals and I'm lowered into the dank, brittle ground of sunless earth. Darkness quickly absorbs me as swelling shadows encompass me here in my grave. I'm now trapped in the abyss, screaming within myself. Now hear my cry. A deafening scream from within me permeates my being at the odd realization of the end of taste, touch, and smell. My hollow, empty husk hardens as it crusts over with the brittle earth. My lifeblood drained and fluids evaporated. I lie in perpetual stillness, crawling inside my skin as if to twitch in protest. I endure a lingering, itching sensation that I cannot scratch. My organs are writhing like snakes and coming to terms of my life lost. I cannot claw my way out of my skin. Thus I lie restlessly in limbotic stillness. What has happened here? This must be some kind of mistake. My heart doth no longer beat. My blood no longer pulsates through my body. Indeed, they confirmed this upon my death. Yet my brain still maintains its own heartbeat within me, a sensation of existence I cannot escape. The last foods rot inside my stomach, my insides no longer able to process it. Thoughts ripple through me like an entity within my being. Death has yet to take claim of them for reasons I know not. Stop thinking. Just acknowledge the end. 
For me there is no heaven of glory bright where angels are dwelling, no hell where sinners are roasting. Divine is my suffering, and now is my day of torment. My thoughts echo on and ricochet through every fiber of my being. I cannot will myself to cease to exist as I run lunatic inside my head, for I am devoid of life, yet not quite one with death. My new awareness of existence continues to haunt me in the catacombs of my imagination, forever taunting my dead self. I can now feel the dirt spilling over my grave, feel my casket sinking deeper into the earth, hear the distant sobs of loved ones. If they only knew the grim nature of my suffering in this asphyxiated eternal suffocation of my soul, my nocturnal state of anti-being, they too would crawl inside of their skin. A numbing chill tickles my soul as death enraptures my body. Why can I not die? Why can this existence not cease to be? Why does God not feel me? The thought of oblivion terrifies me so. For the moment, I feel solace in my awareness of existence. I remember having panic attacks at night, thinking about death, eternity, the beginning and end of time, and the nothing from whence I came to the nothing to where I shall go. This void of nevermore stemmed from a vision of nothingness, now a fully conscious living but not breathing nightmare. The frigid darkness is overshadowing me with yet even more frightful sensations that this may never end. Creeping, lingering thoughts of embodied imprisonment and eternal unrest as I decay away. Death in pure form is simply not an option. One month dead. Let the sweet decay begin. My skin begins to shrivel like the dead autumn leaves outside of my grave peeling like bark and flaking away. Death has now taken on its own life as the process of decay withers me away, corrodes me with mold growing over my skin. The formaldehyde settles in me like still water in a pool, replacing the life force of my blood. Numb inside, start to decay. Emptiness shatters my soul to gray. Memories of life I once forgot. Slowly I mold, decay and rot. I become one with the metamorphosis taking over my flesh as I now see the beauty of decay firsthand. How the symbiosis between life and death interacts with each other in parasitic contentment, unaware of my pulsing thoughts. Its only function is to trade my flesh for a more organic purpose, to give life within death uninterrupted by my whimsical dilemma. The roots of the earth are now feeding off of me, vines corrugate my veins. Rain moisture replaces sweat and mold patches over my flesh. Worms fester inside my intestines. I can feel each stage of my transformation consuming and becoming me as I rest here defenseless and without hope, a man-made dogma of pragmatic comfort. The predicament of my horror is pure, but without it I would not be able to acknowledge my existence. I am now in the cocoon stage of my existence, slowly morphing into something else. Even though the caterpillar that was once my body has stopped crawling, I am a dead moth without a soul, unable to fly away. I scream inside myself, unheard by any god or netherworldly anti-being. Now fully awake inside my shell, I languish here in a coma of my own soul. I simply cannot scratch this eternal itching, organs on the brink of popping, those palpitating batteries within which now forsake my flesh. When will my physical brain stop acting as nerve fibers sending pulses of thoughts to me? 
I am but a lost insomniac in my own bodily death, resting but wide awake, knowing but not seeing, dreamless yet not quite dead. And thus my horror is lingering, and personal without an end, ongoing and eternal as I bequeath this internal continuum alone and suffocate within myself. The creeping insanity is divine as it is malevolent. Let me die. Release me from this shadowy effigy of me. Here's the S&M Horror Magazine Story of the Month for the January Jambalaya issue. Nothingness by Draven Ames. Read by Jason Warden and Kate Sherrod. This is a story of a girl named Imagination. Jennifer whispered. The words went unnoticed by her husband, whose back was turned while he sifted through his inheritance. Her sapphire eyes shot back and forth, reading the single, worn page she held with shaky hands. Unseen by either, a womanly shadow moved behind her, looking like it held Jennifer's head in position over the tail. Folding up the small sheet of paper, she placed it in the shoebox on her lap. While taking inventory of his late father's collection, John and his wife sorted through thousands of ancient knick-knacks. Checking the small handwritten labels on each, John noticed some of the artifacts were labeled Cursed. Nervous glances shot back and forth. Those items were bundled within the auction boxes much faster than the others, full containers stacked by the door. The room contained golden suits of armor with the sun painted on their chests, swords with heron marks and big ivory horns. Everything screamed overindulgence, from the bulletproof shelves of glass to the tall redwood double doors. Around them, under shelves or behind paintings, vast shadows pulsed vibrantly like warm blood coursing through veins. You know, I have no idea what I'm looking for. Do... He stopped, putting down an old feathered wand made of holly. Oh no, don't cry, he said, wiping a tear from his wife's cheek. He sat next to her against a wall. She didn't look at him. What's wrong? he finally asked. It's not because I won't cry about him, is it? Because if it is, I told you, my father wasn't a good guy. And I don't know. There was a story in the shoebox. I read it. She mumbled, looking down at her prize. Absently, she ran her finger across the case. Cashmere tan turned to mahogany, stained by her tears. The little girl in it reminded me of Carrie. At the mention of their daughter, they became solemn and quiet. Giving in first, Jennifer fell into her husband's arms. She sobbed softly. It was so sad. The little girl is going to die unless someone believes in her. Her poor sister. It's okay, he said, comforting her by gently rubbing her back. You can't believe that stuff. It's just a story. The story isn't real. The lights dimmed a little. Nibbling at a piece of her lip, she asked. What is real? Real? He pulled away a little and brushed her cheek with a kiss. We are real. You and me. Baby, if you ever want to talk, I'm here. Why don't you take a break while I bring up the boxes? Have you taken your pills today, honey? No. She said. Her eyes sifted through the ashes of some unseen puzzle. She sniffed away a tear. It was so vivid. Imagination, 
stood on a stage, a little girl. All alone in a spotlight, she begged, naked, wrapped in thorns. She bled everywhere. So horrible. She said you wouldn't believe. I think you've done enough for today, baby, John said. Carefully, he touched the cardboard. Jennifer. Jennifer looked at him like a wounded puppy. May I please see it? Before they turned off the lights, John examined the shoebox. The outside had black lace tied around it. Of the words scribbled on the lid, none could be made out. Too old and worn for his eyes. He dropped the thing in the discard pile and flicked the light switch. With wide eyes and mouth ajar, Jennifer jumped to stop its fall. No! She shouted, snatching the container. It's just a story, Jen, he called after her. No, John, she's not just a story, Jennifer said. The shoebox neatly tucked under her arm, she turned away. She's a little girl. Bringing up the boxes, John sat them on the marble countertop. He used a black magic marker to write on each one. Leukemia auction. Most of his father's mansion had been stripped, except for the expansive foyer. Stacked with almost everything the house had once contained, the only places left to pack were the attic and the basement. Hearing footsteps echo down the hallways, he put down the pen. Jen? He peered around the corner, but there was nothing. Behind him, his shadow dripped and melted as if made of ice. Pieces of shade flowed, melding with other parts of darkness that seemed to come alive. Something fumbled across the floor. Upon investigating, he found only bare rooms, oblivious to the constant cloud of smoke that crept across the ceiling. Down the hallway, Jennifer walked into a room. Honey? He followed after her. Hey, baby, I was... The large bedroom had carpet, two windows, and an empty closet. His wife was nowhere. Shadowy hands stretched across the ground and ceiling, intermingled with one another. Moving at a snail's slither, they spanned the house to reach for his throat. What the hell? John said. He searched the room. Smoky fingers curled around his neck without raising suspicion. Inch by inch, they closed around the tender flesh. He opened the bedroom's curtain with a tug. Near dusk, the sun was an orange spotlight on his face. The light stained yellow spots to his vision and burned away the reaching hands. Somewhere in the living room, with his coat, he heard tools the pot, playing on his cell phone. He did not see the blackness that formed atop the Van Gogh sky like God poured ink on it. Slow drops of nothingness began to crawl down the dome of heaven. The lights of stars died forever, millions at a time. After retrieving the phone, he smiled at the song he'd picked for his brother, a double entendre of hypocrisy. Hitting talk, he said, Hey, Tyler. I'm almost done. What's up? John, listen. My realtor will be by around six to put a lockbox on the door. Make sure you're out by then, or she'll lock it up. Do you think you'll be done by then? Looking at his watch, John grinned. I doubt it. I mean, we're close. I wanted to, but I need to take Jennifer home. It's almost five already. She's not going to lock us in here. Just get it done and get out. I was hoping Jennifer wouldn't be there anyway. Don't be a dick. John said. He walked past windows that showed the setting sun was still far below its coming eclipse. During the winter, darkness came early in Washington, but nothing that would explain the falling veil. The remaining sunshine glittered in the snow. I'm not. Look, when my fucking wife jumps into our father's casket, we can talk. Till then, 
You're bringing that up, John sighed. Look, I won't say it again. We checked. They said the funeral just made her think about Carrie. It was odd, sure, but she didn't mean anything by that, and you know it. You're being completely unfair to even... Before Carrie died, Jennifer would get anxious when their daughter scuffed a knee. After the disease claimed their child for good, Jennifer was never the same. Am I? The stress made her hallucinate, that's all. That's not the point, Tyler said. No, the point is, John rubbed his face, you're just mad that you don't get to sell everything. You're giving away everything our father owned. And you're selling his house. What more do you want? That's more than half of everything, so keep that if you want to keep something. John grunted, shaking his head. I'm getting money for it. Perhaps you've heard of it, being a teacher. His brother's voice grew increasingly louder and dripped with disdain. You know, just because leukemia took your girl doesn't mean it has to take the rest of... Goodbye, Tyler. John hung up the phone. He smothered his face, trying to remember how long Jennifer had been losing touch with reality. A year? Maybe more? She jumped in his father's grave because she saw their deceased daughter sitting on the casket. Alive. And where did my wife go? John searched most of the 16-bedroom mansion for her. He saw, as he expected, the blank sky of night out of each window he passed. Never did he wonder why the sky no longer shined with celestial bodies. He only wanted his wife to be okay. The doorbell chimed out like an old organ from a horror movie. His brother told the real estate agent that their father installed it once he found out he would die. It was conceivably even true. John paused, not seeing his wife anywhere. Jennifer? He called out. When he heard no response, he said, Baby? There's someone at the door. I think they're going to lock up the place. Defeated, John dropped his arms. Calling his wife's cell phone, he followed the noise of a ringtone, an old song by Journey. He found it on the ground below the open trap door leading to his father's attic. An old thrown-together drop-down ladder made of wood hung from the hole in the ceiling. Both cell phones went into his pocket. The doorbell's haunted music played again. He let out an exasperated sigh. Realty can wait, he mumbled. The chiming organs were ignored. Even if she locked them in, there were windows to climb out of. The attic's entrance stood open, a gaping maw on the ceiling. He stared at the trap door, hesitating to follow the ladder. Even as a child, he was afraid. Up there, the window was blue and howling moans. This day was no different. A rusty hinge creaked, etching nails of fear into John's back. In the sable hole, something moved, but could not be seen. It could only be heard, a vague scraping, dragging sound. He repeatedly looked back, hoping that his wife might appear and rescue him from going onward. Oh, here we go. Unnoticed, color peeled off the painted walls around him. Pieces fell like singed snowflakes, drifting in a slow, pendulum swing. A black, oily substance began to boil through the walls, bubbling as if the house could sweat. Shadows slithered on the floor like goldfish in a nightmare's pond. Banging his knee, he gave a muffled yelp. Still, he reached the top, pulling himself into the lightless room. He could barely see as he brought the ladder up and closed the opening, pushing the ladder over the latch. He pulled his cell phone out and used the weak sphere of light to see. Stacks of boxes covered paintings, various boards and cobweb-cloaked junk lay scattered across the floor. On the far end, the glowing moon used to shine on an empty birdcage that always scared him. But the moon was gone. On the ground, great deformed footprints of oozing onyx led to the window. The white drapes fluttered, slapping the wall. By the windowsill, sitting open, a small, empty shoebox lay on its side. Arcs of electricity suddenly swerved through the sky. 
dark spatter marks were all around the window, like someone had bounced a painted basketball against the wall. Holding a hand over his mouth, he whimpered a little. What if she was... Jennifer? He called out. Outside the window, he saw a small globe of illumination. His wife balanced near the edge of the roof, holding up a candle to the vacant sky. Outside of its influence, almost nothing could be seen. A small fire danced, ducked, and twirled in the weather, struggling against the wind. The world was lost in ink. Jen? What's going on, baby? She was too far to grab. Towing the edge, she turned slowly. Do they believe in us? Of course they do, John lied over the stormy wind. He didn't know what she meant. Inside, he wanted to run and jump after his wife, but he knew he'd be too late. How do you know? Wait, does who believe in us? Long hair whipped across his wife's vision. Jennifer stumbled, but steadied herself with frozen breath. The candle wobbled slowly on its plate. When the flame licked her ring finger, she didn't flinch. Them, John. The ones who watch us. They read about us. Stepping out with one foot, he froze. Jennifer blinked and stepped back, her mouth open as if taking a deep breath. Jennifer? Come back inside, honey. He gritted his teeth until the pain racked his brain. Get out of the cold and we can talk about it. You can't see. No one can. We only care about ourselves. No wonder they won't love us. Who won't love us? Baby? What the hell are you talking about? You're scaring me. Lightning became electric tinsel in the sky, an ebony backdrop that left tracers of their existence. Something sticky squished in his hand. The windowsill was melting. What the... He said, stepping back. Eyes wide, he saw his world coming apart. Am I just seeing all this? Jennifer's face strained like a child crying so hard no sound would come out. Imagination is dying, John. Everywhere it crumbles. Nothing's left without it. The ground shook, and he fell. When men no longer dream, the worlds we've made vanish and die. Nothing is here. You're imagining a story. He pointed to the shoebox, begging. But this isn't a dream. Get off the ledge. He crawled across the floor and picked up the box. It went slack, dripping like ice under the sun. Dropping it, he skittered back with his arms and legs flailing. Why? We will only be forgotten. The walls began to sweat, the black oil bubbling through cracks and under doors. They see it. They think it's just a story and they can't believe. A single teardrop fell from her face, landing on the candle's wick. The soft glow sputtered and died. The nothingness comes. The what? One step back and Jennifer was gone. No epic scream. The storm seemed to pause at that moment. A soft whoosh and a gentle thud were the only sounds he heard. With a slow step, John again approached the window. In the porch light, he saw her. His grief grew wild. Lips trembled while his eyes held back a flood. Unstoppable, the tears matched his descent to the floor. But his lament could not be carried away by the wind. His wife lay crumpled on the ground, a crushed paper airplane way down there. He closed his eyes, trying to forget the soil that bubbled up like raven-colored tar to drag her under. The same blanket of dark obsidian seemed to cover the entire landscape in every direction.
It rolled across the land in a slow, gentle wave. Try as he might, John could not discard the image of his wife being enveloped and pulled into the earth by claws of night. John spit out small chunks of regurgitated food. With a sleeve, he cleaned away tears and cried like a wounded animal. It makes no sense. Numbness clawed its way through his heart. It makes no sense. Dark shapes slid from every corner, making a massive ball of shadows on the floor. The emptiness swelled, almost enveloped the entire room. John kept telling himself that it couldn't be real. He tried to compose himself, fumbled through his pocket. He pulled out a picture of his daughter. His thumb trailed across her chin. No matter what the blackness turned into, he wouldn't care anymore. The distant growl came closer. An ebony queen rose from the pool. The naked curves of a blossoming woman stood in her slick, black form. As she walked toward him with a graceful slide, the picture dropped from John's hands. Looking into her lifeless eyes, emotion drained from him. Smudged and dark as night, her face mirrored that of Jennifer's. Long hair draped over her shoulders in shiny, mangled knots. While a small snarl crept up her lips, her teeth clattered and clicked like a rattlesnake about to strike. "'What the fuck are you?' he asked, the question popping out without thought. "'We are the nothingness,' she said. Her voice sounded dubbed over itself a hundred times, flawlessly twisted together into a whisper of madness. As she spoke very slowly, almost seductively, her oil-black skin rippled out. She closed on him, parts of her stuck behind like gum, clumping to the wooden floor. John grabbed a nearby board. "'Don't get closer!' he warned, waving the weapon. She laughed a wheezed chuckle, devoid of all humor. "'That can't hurt me,' she said in a hypnotic voice. John jumped up, smashed the board into her skull with a sickening splashing sound. When it ripped through the other end, the gashing rift miraculously repaired itself. "'What did you do to my wife?' As the board dropped to the ground, his voice wavered and cracked. Pale eyes glared from the repaired face. The woman growled again, but she did not look like his wife anymore. Her face was monstrous, fanged and fierce. She only read the ending. He fell back against the melting walls, letting it ooze down his back. What ending? What do you want? You know our ending. We're standing there. They watch. They like it. There is power in watching. People can now clone in their own image. John's own shadow bubbled like oil. It shot up at an incredible speed, becoming his dark doppelganger. The real John cowered against the wall. When she dropped her hand, the double splashed to the ground as quickly as formed. They can replicate, but they forget how to create a symphony. While the masses no longer think for themselves... Your literature lies dying or unread. Art gives way for electronics, she continued. John could swear he saw her liquid smile. And the world cheers. The creature held her hand out, and an oily replica of a dollar sat in it. Everything revolves around words on a piece of paper. A smile grew on her lips. Whose only value lies in your imagination. She squeezed her hand and the bill ceased to be. A whiff of smoke dissipated in the air. 
Imagination is dying. We are its successor. You could not have imagined our existence, but someone else has opened a door. It is sad. Your minds are numb and cannot decipher the puzzle of how we are. How is it that you do not know me? I am all that most can see. She stopped at John's feet, emphasizing the words with narrow eyes. Why why kill us, though? he asked. We can change. To warn them. But why my wife? Why us? John cried. Light flashed across the room. Shadowy snakes floated across the walls like ghosts. It's not just you, John. Don't be so vain. They can see it everywhere. Substance without meaning. Meaning without substance. It is a fact that this world will be forgotten. I'm only being blunt with you. They need a shock. But they will forget about us only moments after we've met. All around this late father's house, the edges of world crumbled away. Large hunks of the terrain fell, hitting the side and being sent into tailspins. Feet from the shore of their destruction, each piece blinked away and was gone. The emptiness had taken everything. You're free! Isn't that enough? Free? She asked in a single, condescending voice. Free! John confirmed. I mean, now you exist, right? She moved closer in a static blur. Her white eyes drugged John into a stupor. Drifting into the deep sleep that held no dreams, he lost all expression. I am the nothingness. She howled. The building shook and moaned. Debris fell from the roof. Her eyes were wide, her face fierce. I'm not supposed to exist. I am anti-life. The quaking faded as the creature frowned. Deep creases swam on her forehead. But imagination is dying, and I am a caring sister. I couldn't watch her suffer any more. I will purge humanity. I send a warning shot with you. Her smile seemed cruel and lipless. The nothingness stood perfectly still except for her tongue flicking at the air. Opening her mouth, the rows of teeth resembled pearl razors. Her stare continued to paralyze and hold him still. With iron will, John forced out. Can... can I ask... one more question? That's how it's written. Written? He swallowed hard. Something warm and cold pulled at his insides. John asked his question. Do we have a chance? We never did, he thought. I know that now. Yes, people do. Surprise registered on John's face. His wide eyes slackened, moving around to search for an answer he couldn't fathom. What could stop the nothingness? Could he find it in time? Without his wife, did it matter? All of these questions burned in his mind. The nothingness laughed. How? He begged to know. She smiled and said, No one will ever imagine. Author's Note
First, it should be noted that the story was originally accepted by SM Horror Magazine before being turned down again later, citing that the original editor didn't really like it after reading it. Now, the submissions editor had retired, and the new editor didn't like anything other than the ending. Well, that was rather upsetting. But I licked my wounds and I rewrote the entire thing from scratch, only keeping 200 words or so. Now, nothingness was written on the old idea that imagination could die. If it were a real entity, its relationship to nothing could be like yin to yang. Would nothing want to exist alone? It seemed most everything that we have is based on imagination to some degree, from our books to our wealth. I wanted to connect this story to all the stories in the anthology. Indeed, I want to connect it to all fiction and reality. For what's reality other than what we interpret? What is scarier than the death of our own perception? The story is there to make people think. I hope that it does. It raises some questions, and that's all I ever really intended. Thank you for reading, and thank you for listening. I want to take just a minute and thank everyone who made this possible. Stephen Marshall of S&M for having the guts to take a leap of faith. Draven Ames for such a wonderful, thought-provoking story. Kate Sherrod, who brought the story to life. And you, the listener, for giving us a reason to do it. If you like what you heard, please be sure and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, by feed, or by email at shadowcastaudio.com. Also, leave us feedback in the comments section, or review us on iTunes. We have many more stories waiting in the wings. Our next podcast will be on March 4th, where I will introduce you to the House of Horror magazine and give you one of their finer tales. I hope you'll be here for it. And if you have the means, please consider dropping us a couple bucks to help cover site and server costs. Our intro music was The Cove by The Contrarian. You can find more great selections at contrarianmedia.com. The background music for I Dream of Death was Drift by Christopher Carlson. You can hear more at ChristopherCarlson.com. This episode was produced under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, blog about it, pimp it all you want. Just don't change it or try to sell it. I'll leave you with another selection from the Contrarian's Lovecraft-inspired album, Eldritch Musics. Here's Crimson Village. Enjoy. Oh, mm-hmm.